like the new digs, they are astoundingly purple. Yep. And supremely spongy. I don't think I've ever sunk into a floor like I have in this place. Hmm, sound quality's okay. Less reverb in the other place, but that background hum. Yeah, it is annoying. I think it's the human fat vats. Either they're too warm or possibly too cold. And so the heating element is having a really hard time. Still, a change is a change. Yes, and what changes we are ringing in. For example, I now spell my name with two J's and a mysterious and silent W. And I wear a wig when we record. And it's a different wig every episode. Mm, but it's still the same podcast. Mostly. It's legally similar to past installments. Guaranteed. And that guarantee is backed by Lloyds of London. Mm, not the famous bank, though. The, the other Lloyds, the ones who deal with human fat, but now podcasts. So sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. And if you aren't enjoying it, listen to more episodes until such time you do. Because mm, otherwise, uh, what did I mention? I now also have a mallet. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentith. Hello, and welcome back to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. It's 2024. And, and we're now in Technicolor. We're, we're, yes, that might as well be true. Yep, at 48 frames per second, mm-hmm. and leading the front on small streaming services like Tubi, which I believe is still very popular, and the kids are really, really into watching short-form TV series on their phones. Something like that. They're all into the TikTok and the Facebook Reels and the YouTube Shorts, apparently. Well, apparently YouTube Shorts aren't doing as well as YouTube makes them out to be. Aren't they? They seem to be all my kids watch. Now, I didn't say, of course, that we, uh, Josh Addison and Dr. M. Rx Dentist, together again... In person. In person. I, I would... <laughs> this time it's personal. Mm, I would reach out and kick you, but but I'm afraid I'll hit your disgusting exposed flesh. Uh, came somewhat of a cropper jogging I did, this evening. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, I was running along Stanley Point, and I tripped over a bit of loose pavement, and I slid first on my hands, then on my knee, and now I'm waiting for my knee to dry. Actually, this is yesterday's wound. Ah, it has to be dried from time to time. Because otherwise, how can I get the infection controlled? Or indeed exacerbated? Yes. So, so basically, just so everybody knows, I want to be perfectly clear that I'm sitting here staring directly at this gaping, weeping wound. Pustulous wound. Pustulant wound on the front of him's knee. Uh, and that's the way I like it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I felt you needed to be welcomed back into the home. And what is more welcoming than vital fluids on the outside of the human body? Mm, mm. So, yes, welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to 2024. Welcome back to this podcast. Um, this episode, I think it's just going to be a catch-up. Just yeah. a, a bit of and a... And the scheduling for the podcast over the next month is going to be a bit weird because I'm back in Auckland, so we're recording locally. Mm-hmm. Then next week I'm down in Wellington, so if we record again it'll be remotely. Then I'll be back in Auckland, and there may or may not be another in-person recording. And then it's back to China, and then when we're back to China there's going to be some changes in schedule, at mm. least for the first half of the year. But we'll yeah. get onto that in just a minute. We will. I'm just going to get into it right now. What well, else do you want to get onto b- beforehand? Oh, I was 
Uh, I don't know, but I feel now we have to justify the just a minute thing okay. by by obfuscating and prevaricating for a period of time and such Fine. that people don't aren't aware that time is passing and they're listening to our dulcet tones and they feel they're learning something really important, but it's not entirely clear anything interesting is actually going on. In fact, but I kind of feel like Alex Jones trying to interject into someone's debate because I'm really quite scared they know something and I don't know anything about it because I'm just a loudmouth. So I have to keep on talking to ensure that they don't say anything interesting. And thus by doing this, it makes me sound actually less intelligent than I want to appear to be, which means I have to get louder and more strident in order to cover up the fact that I really don't know what I'm doing. Mm, knew that. No, I, I guess one thing we, we can say, so there's a bunch of bunch of changes coming in this year. Some of them have already happened, the main one being that this podcast is no longer hosted on Podbean. Yes, so it has if been you for were quite some time. a Podbean patron and not a podcaster's guide to the conspiracy Patreon, you will find that your Podbean patronage is now cancelled because we have given up using Podbean. Not necessarily because we were unhappy with Podbean as a service, but Zencaster, which is the service we use for recording podcasts remotely, now offers podcast streams. And given we pay for Zencaster use, there's no real point in paying for two potential podcast hosts when you can consolidate everything under one host. Mm, so Podbean has been cancelled and Zencaster is now a ho-ho of choice. Now I don't know whether this is just due to the fact that Zencaster had to take our feed and re-syndicate things. But our metrics do look better under Zencaster, really? which either indicates Zencaster is slightly better at disseminating our podcasts to a variety of different locations, or Podbean just wasn't picking up on all the different downloads. Mm. I'm not saying it's a major difference, but there does seem to be an uptick in listenage over a period of time where we haven't produced a single episode. Yes. Now, do we have an actual sort of home page for the podcast not like we did on Podbean. now so technically our home page is probably the patreon page which means we probably should whilst i'm back in aotearoa do one of those redo the kind of greeting video thing oh, we could pretty the page yeah. up maybe look at what all the different tiers and things look like because yes there is no technical landing page now there is a Zencaster page for the podcast, but it's not really a front-facing page. So we might just need to make the Patreon page the place you go to find out about our podcast. Mm. Mm. What I'm saying is, yes, if you go to conspiracism.podbean.com, I think you'll just get a 404 error or something. Yeah, now that and if you were a patron, exist. you now need to reconsider your life choices and maybe use Patreon instead, because otherwise you're going to miss out on those juicy, juicy patron bonus episodes yes. that I know that you subscribe to. Mm, probably. Yes, so, so other changes. Yeah, I think the main one that Em was alluding to is we're going to be going to a fortnightly schedule. At least, at least for, for the first, first half, of the, half of the year. So this is due to your, your increasing workload. Yeah, so basically I did find the schedule over the last half year to be slightly difficult in that I promised people a lot of papers and chapters last year. And I've promised people a lot of papers and chapters this year. I'm also teaching two courses this semester. I know the academics listening to this podcast are going, two courses, is that all you're teaching? But given a variety of other things I am also doing in the background, actually finding time in the week to prepare for the podcast and record the podcast with the fact that everything has to fit into two different time zones, both in China and back in Auckland. Recording in the middle of the day for me is not 
the easiest thing at the moment. So, whilst I'm teaching two courses, we're going to a fortnightly schedule. So that'll be up until about June or July of this year. And then we'll reassess we'll yes. when we get to that point. But yes, basically we're going fortnightly. Some of you who are patrons might be going, that is not good enough. I would like a weekly patron bonus episode and I sound like this for some strange and unusual reason. Now that doesn't mean the patron bonus episodes are necessarily going fortnightly because there might well be unusual bonus patron episodes of things and who knows, who knows. Who knows? But main episodes, definitely fortnightly for the next six months. Mm. And you have some other plans? I know you've already sent me a book... I know, I have, you don't like reading books. I've, 2024 is the year of the book. I've looked at the book. I've downloaded an EPUB reader onto the very tablet that I'm waving in your face right now. And I've, I've, I've opened it. I've looked at it. You can't deny that. See, I was expecting you to then go, and now I'm throwing this tablet out the window and then you're just walking mm. away from the podcast. No, so there will be a, a multi-part probably book review. Are we going to be doing more of that or what? Yeah, so I'm thinking there are there have been numerous books being written on conspiracy theory. Now, we looked at one a few years ago, which is Kassam's book, Conspiracy Theory. And that's a very short book, so I was able to do that in a one-episode for- format. But I do want to look at Michael Shermer's book on conspiracy theories. It was published a year and a half ago now. And it's big enough and also in three parts. I think it probably deserves us doing three episodes looking at each individual part. So we're going to do some longer form reviews of longer academic and non-academic work on conspiracy theory. Which I think could be at least interesting if not filming time. Mm. That's all you can really ask for. Now, there are some other notes here that you've written that are a little bit new to me. A new segment where Josh asks what academic work Emma's working on. Is that, is that just a passive-aggressive hint there? You no, just want me to no, say? No. So, Em, tell well, me more about no, you. I was actually thinking, I'm not, I'm not very good at self-promotion. Ah. And... One thing which actually does strike me as slightly odd about a podcast where you have one of the leading figures in the philosophy of conspiracy theory as a co-co-host is we actually don't really ever talk about my work, especially since we don't review any of the papers I've written. Never have, never will. And so I thought it might just, and also it might be a good reminder to me to ensure that I keep people updated. So... Every fortnight, you can ask, what are you working on? And I'll either say, Josh, in the last fortnight, I have done absolutely nothing apart from playing Risk of Rain's Return. Or I might say, well, actually, there are two chapters I'm working on at the moment, and one of them's quite interesting. Here's a five-minute presay of what I'm thinking about the role of unicorns in conspiracy theories. Is Risk of Rain Returns the same as Risk of Rain 2, or is it... No, so Risk of Rain 2 is the 3D sequel to Risk of Rain. Yes. Risk of Rain Returns is the 4K or HD remaster of Risk of Rain. Right, I've only played Risk of Rain 2. I mean, they're both good games. Mm. I mean, I Risk of Rain 1 is a one of the few roguelites which I've actually completed. Risk of Rain Remastered, or Risk of Rain Returns is just as good it's just slightly glossier and the music is just slightly crisper risk of rain 2 i love but i've never been able to complete it yeah i found it a bit a bit tricky and not in a fun way 
it's one of those games you have to play it several times to get enough unlocks for the interesting weaponry to actually start appearing mm. on the first few levels and then it becomes incredibly fun mm. but the first few runs can be rather difficult because you will die because your pew pew gun goes pew pew and your enemy's guns go bang 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 ah well we can't have that no precisely uh so anything else I did think of one other amusing segment we could do, which is that every week we alternate with simply a headline from either Alex Jones or DavidIke.com, and we simply ask the other co-host to guess what do you think the headline is about. And mm. the trick is, you never confirm it. You go, well, yep, it's AlexJones.com. That, that might, might as well, well be, be true. what it is. Yeah. So just picking out... A, so it requires no research other than going to the space page finding a headline and then going, right, let's see if the other person can guess what this might be about. Mm. Yeah, so I think that might as well be true. I think that's a, as good a name for a segment as yeah. any, really. It yeah. might as well be true. Okay, you heard well, it here first. It's so Alex Jones. Mm. So is that all the admin we've got? Yeah, basically. Unless, basically. unless it's something you want to surprise me with. No, I have no immediate surprises for you. Well, I've actually already surprised you. Say, you say immediate surprises. Do you have long-term surprises you're just waiting to pounce on me with? Oh, yeah, obviously. That's been the plan all along. But Good. Now is not the time. Uh, so, with that out of the way, uh, we thought... We, we didn't we didn't have anything massive well, we, to we talk about. We should probably play a chime just to should allow we, things to... Oh, I, I, guess to uh, I guess if we're going to call this the main part of the episode, yeah. yes, chuck a chime in and yeah, we'll, chuck we'll make chime. pretend. Yeah. Around about here. Okay, so so in, in lieu of a... In lieu of a, an actual sort of devoted topic for this episode, we thought we'd just go through a bit of bit of conspiracy news that's popped up in between this episode and the last one we did last year. So give me some headlines. Well, what if I told you that Roger Stone is a terrible, terrible human being that wants people dead? I would not consider that noteworthy or newsworthy at all. Well, apparently it is newsworthy because yeah. it has been reported on in the media that Roger Stone told a New York Police Department associate that House Democrats Eric Salwell or Jerry Nadler needed to die to get a message across. Are these people who have both died? No, okay. no, they're, so so this, is, this is threat of violence and right. threat of death as opposed to Roger Stone is admitting to murders. Right, okay. So they're both prominent critics of former president and hopefully not future president Donald Trump and Roger Stone has found them rather annoying. Mediate? Uh, I actually don't know how you meant to pronounce the name of this particular media organisation. Mediate? Yeah, me actually, it probably is mediate. Although it's not mediate in the sense that I would actually immediately go M E D I A I T E. Mm. It's like mediate, 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 mediate. Anyway, they have a recording of Stone and this NYPD associate discussing how Roger really finds Selwell and Nadler to be annoying, and thus they need to die for a message to get across. It seems that Stone either wants one or both to be killed. Roger Stone claims that this is a AI recording. That it's, it's, it's all just fake news. It's part of, you know, that George Carlin thing. It's all just fake. Yeah, that's that's been a thing. Like, there's, there's, been, there's the George Carlin thing. There's some, some um, site at the moment where you can pick a, a voice in a song and it'll, 
it'll make that song and the person I've seen I've seen a couple of different songs sung by Homer Simpson recently and um and uh Johnny Cash singing Barbie Girl which the, both they're very clever and you think oh that that's clever and kind of funny but then it also it's it's basically cementing the fact that you can no longer believe anything you see or hear which means anyone can say that legitimate court recordings are actually fake have you seen the photo that's been going around of the fake finger thing People oh saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah a little sort of fake fake prosthetic finger you can stick onto your hand so it looks like you have an extra finger so if you ever get photographed doing something dodgy you can say oh that's obviously an ai creation look they didn't even get the fingers right so yeah i i cannot imagine that is going to be the last time we'll hear someone claim damning evidence is just an ai forgery now it turns out that the new york police department is now investigating this recording so they're obviously taking it seriously enough to go well even if it is fake we should probably establish that it is Mm. because otherwise we've got a recording here of roger stone trying to entice a police officer to commit murder but that seems like the kind of thing we should be reporting on on the year where Donald Trump just won the Iowa caucus and is now on the map to becoming Republican nominee for U.S. president. Yeah. So let's 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 forget about the um, depressing president and step back into the past. D.B. Cooper. We've talked about D.B. Cooper a few times. Mysteriously disappeared, jumping out of an airplane with a bag full of money or something like that. They've come up with new something yes they've they've analyzed db cooper's tie and you won't be able to guess what was on it uh a a microfiche sort of signed confession giving his his full identity and plan i mean that that would be and and also a recipe for resurrecting Mm. aliens from a giant pyramid no they found metal scrapings on the tie Right, so how do we know it's his tie? Oh, because he, did he take it off on the plane? Yeah, before he, yeah, before he put on his parachute yeah. and things, we have yeah. clothes that he left mm. behind. So we know they are the clothes of D.B. Cooper. And actually, I'm, I'm hesitating here on the head because there was a news story from last year where someone's actually suggesting that D.B. Cooper was a woman, which I need to kind of drag out because it might be interesting to go back to the D.B. Cooper story at some particular point. So whoever D.B. Cooper is, they have D.B. Cooper's tie, and they've found metal filings on the tie, which might give some indication of where D.B. Cooper worked, which would allow you to narrow the search parameters of who D.B. Cooper is, or it could be contamination of the sample, or it could just be metal scrapings or filings from being on an aircraft, which, as far as I'm aware, are largely made of metal. Mm. Yeah, so this, this fella, private investigator um, Eric Ullis, Ulis, perhaps, he's looked at this metal, he, he, he reckons that he's been able to trace some of these scraps to a particular um, a particular steel plant, crucible steel in Pennsylvania, and so he, he and says that this supplied the lion's share of titanium and stainless steel for Boeing's aircraft, and claims that because Cooper supposedly had in-depth knowledge of the the Boeing 727 that he hijacked, maybe he was some sort of a a Boeing employee slash contractor or someone who maybe visited the places where Boeings were made, or maybe he was simply a guy who was inside of one. 
Yeah. Which we yeah. and kind of already we, knew. Yeah, we kind of knew he was in a plane. That mm. might be where the metal... In fact, it seems the most likely place the metal came from. Nevertheless, Mr. Euless says, I would not be surprised at all if 2024 was the year we figure out who this guy was. Yep, Maybe. along with the son of Sam Killer. Mm. So, yep. Good, good, good luck to him, I guess. Be interesting to see. But last I heard, the FBI still thinks he died in the jump, don't they? Yeah, it seems the official... mo- given the parachute that Cooper chose wasn't a very good parachute, it seems very likely that Cooper didn't know much about being a parachutist and probably ended up being more of a plummeter. Yes, yeah, the, the evidence would suggest he didn't know it. He, he wasn't an expert parachutist and jumped out of a plane in conditions that even an expert parachutist would have had trouble with so yeah yeah well, although as we also know it was jimmy james from news radio mm. and it was loki and it was whoever it was in that episode of leverage where they did the db cooper case i can't remember yeah some guy uh so tell me about fake cryptocurrency ceos so this is one of those stories which is both conspiratorial and not conspiratorial, but actually quite conspiratorial at the same time. So about a year or so ago, a CEO of a cryptocurrency hedge fund by the name of Reese Lewis made the news because he was being endorsed by celebrities and influencers, including Steve Wozniak, who's responsible for the Apple Mac- Macintosh and the like. And then he kind of just disappeared. So we've got a cryptocurrency hedge fund. Lots of people are endorsing the greatness of the CEO. The CEO then disappears. People start doing research. Where is the CEO of Hyperverse? And they discover that the CEO doesn't seem to exist on paper. So the CEO's resume or CV appears to be entirely fictitious. And eventually people tracked down the person in the photos, which turned out to be an actor by the name of Stephen Harrison, who was paid a mere seven and a half thousand US dollars to act as a kind of PR figure for Hyperverse. And people are now going, the CEO that people endorsed as being a great mind didn't exist. And what were those influencers and celebrities doing when they endorsed an actor as CEO of a company that's taken in a very large sum of money from other people's pockets. I think the conclusion is obvious. The CEO is some sort of artificial intelligence that's cooked up this fake person to be their front in the the real world while they run uh, run everything behind the scenes from cyberspace. Cyberspace? Now that's just science fiction. Mm. Uh, I, don't, I don't see like sure I, I frankly I think it's past time we had a, a cryptocurrency fund run by an AI like I'm surprised no one I am literally surprised no one has made that claim at the moment I mean the most likely story is is that people like Wozniak were enticed on things like cameo to perform a script and then that script is used as advertising. So the problem with cameos, of course, you perform a scripted response, and then that response can be used for anything. Maybe it might be used to entertain a parent as they go into hospital, or maybe you might use it to defraud millions of people. Terms and conditions don't matter. Mm. 
So, so is that it? So, we, do do we know? Like, has this caused a problem? Have have or is, is the company gone under or disappeared or something? Or are they really just like, oh yeah, it's still out there, fake CEO. <laughs> what a world we live in. Yeah, it seems to be one of those situations where people are going. The worry here is that people will take endorsements seriously, even though those endorsements are not worth the video screens there broadcast from and then people go well if, if the was is going to endorse us it must be worth money and it turns out people have just been calmed oh that's a shame so does the company have a ceo or not well Do i we mean, just not know it's yeah it's one of those things i, I don't think we know we no, just we simply know that the person who claims to be the ceo of a company that may not even exist turns out to be an actor called stephen Har- mm. stephen harrison because I, I heard a thing a while ago about the... It was about Sam Bankman-Fried and specifically about the guy who wrote the book about him that talked about what an amazing genius he was and how he was the world's most special boy. And apparently written by the same guy who wrote the book about the the black guy who got adopted by a white family who, who, who encouraged him into a football career which was made into a movie with Sandra Bullock and which turned out to be largely a load of crap. And the white people, strangely enough, way way overplayed their role in his success. But and and, and so in this book about about SBF, um, there's a scene where the, the, apparently the the company did not have a chief financial officer, and they sort of said, you know, for a company like yours, shouldn't you shouldn't you have a CFO? That sounds like something a company should have. And he goes, well, well, do you actually think I don't know how much money we have and where and when and everything? And I say, yeah, fair enough. When in fact, the truth was, no, he had no idea where yeah. his money was. He had no idea so at all. So not having a CEO, do, do, does somebody think they don't need one of them? Well, to be honest, I don't know what a CEO does, so maybe you don't. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, actually quite a lot of the upper management positions in corporations like these are people who are paid to do very little and they can probably function without them. But at the same time, if you're using their celebrity to drag people's money into your coffers, they probably should exist. Mm. They probably should exist. Ideally. Ideally, Ideally. yeah, people should exist. Uh, So, spies. Spies in Britain. We have um, an article from the end of last year in The Guardian about um, Soviet infiltration of MI5. Or um, Soviet infiltration of the Prime Minister's office mm. when Harold Wilson was Prime Minister. Quite a complicated story and all relates to a book we haven't, I think, ever mentioned on the podcast, which is Spycatcher. Now, Spycatcher was a tell-all book written by a former MI5 spy. Might have mentioned it, but yeah, but in, in a, in yeah, a, in a, in a passing, of, yeah. yeah. We've never yeah. devoted an no, episode No, definitely to. not. And Spycatcher itself is probably worth devoting an episode to, because Spycatcher was a book that the British government under Margaret Thatcher desperately tried to ensure was not published, but because it was published overseas, I think both in the US and Australia, the British government basically had to admit defeat because people started reporting on the contents of the book as published overseas. And so Spycatcher was basically a tell-all of all the things which MI5 had been involved in, some of which the, the Tory government said broke the National Secrets Act, although it turned out in retrospect when the book was vetted, it was actually all above board. 
But one of the stories which is mentioned in Spycatcher is the idea that MI5 is alleged to have thought that Harold Wilson's government had been compromised by Soviet agents, so MI5 was spying on the Prime Minister of Great Britain, which you're not meant to do. Now, MI5 has always denied that they were spying on Harold Wilson or Harold Wilson's cabinet. And there's a tranche of newly declassified MI5 files which people thought might shine a light on this particular issue. And it turns out that the files which relate to the time period which would cover the alleged spying on the Prime Minister's office are the files that are the most redacted, leaving people to go, well, you know, MI5 claims there's no evidence that MI5 was obsessed with Soviet infiltration of the Prime Minister's office, and therefore there's no reason to think they were spying on the Prime Minister. At the same time, they're not willing to actually unredact the files which would indicate that that spying definitely wasn't going on, which is just a tad suspicious. Mm. I looked it up. I, when I say we mentioned Spycatcher, I mentioned Spycatcher one time in one of our um, What the Conspiracy episodes that I did about Soviet spies, ah, where, where I yes. talked about I talked about the Harold Wilson thing, which was a thing you had heard of, yep. and indeed had heard of Spycatcher. Yeah, I remember my parents having a copy mm. of Spycatcher when it came out, and I remember there was an audio book of Spycatcher at the Devonport Public Library when I were but a child. So maybe we should do an episode on, spy, on Spycatcher at some point. Yeah. Uh, so a bit of local news, bit, a bit of local colour. Here's some fun one. It, it features some slightly salty language, so if you're of a sensitive disposition, you might want to block your ears for the next few minutes. But um, Now, you say salty language. The reporting that I read in the New Zealand Herald indicates that the person in question simply said, my if long dash yourself kind regards. So I'm assuming the salty language here is... Go fluff yourself or something of that particular kind. It's entirely. Hang on, do, let me let me recheck out the screenshot because yes, the one that I read said uh, it, it had it had had to the swear word uh, replaced with. Yeah, asterisk. I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure that I read it on the Herald. I may have read it on a different. Let me site. just see because they did have a screenshot of the actual email. No, well, okay. In the screenshot, I have the entire word is censored out. Which if it had just been f dash, they probably wouldn't have. But anyway. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. Thames Coromandel District Mayor Lynn Salt. Of salty language. It's, uh, yes, salty by name and salty by nature. Uh, so it was, there was an article in the Herald from a few days ago reporting that this district mayor had signed off a letter to a constituent with the, the, the sentence, My official response as mayor of Thames Coromandel District Council is this. Go fuck yourself. Kind regards, Len. Now, immediately, you just sort of think, because we've had a history, say, here in Auckland, our mayor, Len Brown, uh, has, has uh, don't think, been caught using that level of, of swearitude yeah, in official communication. the D word, like drongo. But he is a, he, he's, he's got a bit of stick for being basically an offensive uh, drongo himself. And it's sort of, people have said, you know, the sort of behaviour, un unbecoming of a mayor and what have you. So at first I thought, okay, this is a, this is a story about a, uh, a district mayor also being, off the rails. being one of these guys who thinks it's okay to be an abusive dick, blah, 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 blah. But then if you read a bit further down the article and find out exactly what he was responding to, 
you kind of come away with a different impression. Mm, um, it's a little bit sovereign citizen. Yes. So his response was to a person who gave a couple of different names. It wasn't entirely clear exactly what the guy's name was, but that's par for the course, perhaps, with the sovereign citizen stuff. Uh, this guy who had basically been harassing the council and council staff. So this, they, they didn't show his letter, but um, the, the story reports that the Waikato Herald had seen the email that sparked Salt's reply. According to the Waikato Herald, the email accuses the council of, quote, extremely unlawful activity, unquote, but not in, nothing specific. It labels the council as a fictitious entity. I assume that's a misspelling of fictitious. Uh, and then finally, the, the, the author goes on to demand the names and addresses of staff members within the council. Uh, also suggested the mayor was, quote, an accomplice to these unlawful actions by failing previously to supply the names and addresses of council staff members. So when this guy gave his response, it was in response to a sovereign citizen guy demanding that he give that, that he essentially docks a bunch of council staff to this person. In which case his response may be maybe a little um, uh, undiplomatic, maybe not quite quite the sort of decorum you might want from an expected representative, but uh, probably the sort of thing any of us would feel like replying. And to most that sort of thing. Amusingly, the reason why this became a story that was reported in the Coromandel region is that the person who received the email went on to Facebook saying, "Don't you think this is conduct?" unbecoming of a mayor mm. to find that on the local council Facebook page almost everybody agreed that the mayor's response was appropriate yes. to the tone of the correspondence he had received and even Len Salt has gone look if you think this is inappropriate as a response please do tell me I thought this was an appropriate response given the kind of inquiry going on here. Mm. So it seems that actually, as far as most people are concerned, this is not yeah. inappropriate or unbecoming la language, given the context. Fill your boots, Len. Yeah. Yep. Okay, one last thing. I well, saw this the other day. Are we going to talk about the rumble oh, thing? Did I miss one? Oh, you I did. missed one. You did. I missed one. The rumble. It, I was in a going to let us to move on to Substack. Yes. Okay, yeah, sorry. I, I was so, so keen to jump into the sweary bits. I missed one that's... Um, Less sweary, but uh, possibly more substantive. So Rumble, I've never looked on Rumble. I, I gather it's the it's the quote unquote free speech equivalent to YouTube, which I assume means it's this, the, the yeah, massively right wing and racist of these free speech equivalents to YouTube. So there's Rumble, there's Odyssey. So there's a whole bunch of attempts to make a YouTube replacement, most of which fail because they don't scale properly. So occasionally I look at Odyssey to see what weird stuff there is there. And the problem with Od Odyssey is that half the time the page doesn't work because it just doesn't have the throughput to cope with the number of people who want to look at disinformation or conspiracy content. And so yeah, Rumble is yet another one of those platforms where stuff which isn't successful on YouTube, and given that YouTube is actually a disinformation hellhole, does make you think what's going on with Rumble here, that's where those videos go. They go to Rumble. Mm. So uh, the point is that Rumble is um, being investigated by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Oh, they're, they're the sworn enemies of one Elon Musk. Are they? Yeah, he hates Doesn't them. Doesn't surprise me. He's the one mm. who has... The, they've got a thing where he can't 
whatever tweeting is now called under X without there being someone from the business to verify what he's saying because of previous times where he's made tweets which may have inflated or deflated stock prices. Ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's trying to sue the SEC to get rid of what he takes to be an impediment of his First Amendment rights. And he keeps on failing in court because he voluntarily gave up those rights as part of a settlement. The court keeps on going, yeah, but you agreed to this. It's not a violation of your rights if you agree to it. Mm. Yeah, so at any rate, the, the SEC has basically confirmed that they are investigating Rumble, but but as it pains to point out, you know, with, you, can't, you can't take this as proof that Rumble's done something bad because we're still investigating to find out whether or not they have, but... Uh, the suspicion, and they they haven't um, they haven't been releasing me information about it from the looks of things again because it's sort of an ongoing thing. But people have uh, pointed out that investment research firm Culpa Research back in April of last year released a report that was highly sceptical of Rumble's claimed monthly active user counts, or MAU. And so they reckon, according to their data, so so, uh, the the Culpa Research said in their report, combined the web and app data suggests to us that Rumble has only 38 to 48 million unique users and the company has overstated its user base by 66% to 108%. So the the suggestion there is that they've massively um, overinflated their user count uh, which therefore means there could be because because a, a site like that's user count uh, user base is its worth essentially. So there that, that implies that some people reckon that Rumble has made itself look like it's worth a lot more than it's actually worth. Hmm. Mm. Mm. So you're saying that a right wing business may have engaged in wrongdoings. It, 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 it may be that that, that may is be the case. Shocking yeah. information. Mm. Uh, so you want to talk about Substack? Well, just that the whole Nazi bar thing has become quite interesting over the course of our hiatus. They kicked out a few people, didn't they? They but, kicked out five accounts. Yeah, five accounts. So with... is that? Sorry, are there are there a lot more than five accounts on Substack? Or was that was that like all of them? Is it just those five and David Ferrier? Well, I mean, from from the looks of it, they've kicked out the five Nazis who used. Substack, or at least they've kicked out the five bad Nazis, Josh. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other Nazis on Substack, but they're the good Nazis. They're the ones who are just, they're they're the pleasant Nazis. They're not the bad Nazis. Oh, well, a pleasant Nazi is fine, as long as they're pleasant about it. So Josh Drummond, who used to have a Substack, gave up his Substack today with a very interesting post going, well, look, I'm just going to go to one Substacker who is a Nazi who hasn't been kicked off Substack, and I'm going to use the recommendation algorithm that Substack has, and I'm going to spend an hour just looking at the recommended content. And so his entire last post on Substack is an accounting of if Substack is only removing content that they claim contravenes their policies, and they could only find five accounts that contravene their policies, they're not looking particularly hard. And the interesting thing is, he points out, a lot of these accounts either have quite a number of paid subscribers, so 
these Nazi and Nazi adjacent posters are making upwards of say two thousand US dollars a month from subscriptions. Or in some cases, some people have decided to have a Substack without any monetization. But Substack gives you an option to say, look, you might like this content. If they monetize the con content, how much would you be willing to pay a month to get access to content of this kind? So they're also entreating people to go, look, you should encourage this person to monetize their content. And so yeah, the Substack thing doesn't seem to have got any better. In fact, people seem to be shining more and more of a light on just how bad Substack turns out to be. Mm. I never quite got Substack, to be honest. It, see, it, it seemed like kind of a, a pleasing throwback to back when people used to have blogs. It sort of seemed half, half email newsletter and half blog, but I never, never, really, never really got it. I well, think. it was a way of having a newsletter and getting direct monetization from your mm. readers. I mean, the thing which I find disturbing, this is entirely parochial, it was founded by a New Zealander. Oh. Yeah. Oh, are, they still, are they still running the show? Yeah, oh, they're living in shame. San Francisco, and they're the one who claims that not monetizing Nazi content would be very bad censorship. Very bad censorship. Mm. Yes. Oh, well. Uh, I, I, I assume there are alternatives. There seem to be... Yeah, there's Button Down. I think there's one called Ghost. There are a lot of people who are now migrating their substacks. And I was in correspondence with David Farrier last week about the whole substack thing. And as he pointed out, and as other people have pointed out on substack, there's a certain kind of person who was entreated to join substack, and Substack are underwriting their legal bills. Uh, David's written about this on Webworm. So given the kind of work that David does, he doesn't he can't afford his own legal liability for dealing with people like the Tickle King mm. or Mr. Organ. So Substack are helping underwrite legal bills. So there is a kind of difficulty for people who are using Substack to produce decent work and are being financially supported, say through legal care or healthcare by sub, sub, Substack, and then seeing that actually the business is really, really keen to monetize Nazi content because Substack makes money from... it gets the clicks. Yeah, yeah. but also they make money from every sub. Mm. So they don't want... I mean, it's the thing which got me when Substack started defending the monetization of Nazi content. They hid behind the free speech, free speech. It would be bad to mm. censor this material. I actually would have been happier, which is not to say I would be happy, but I would have been happier if they'd gone, look, it's just bad business to ban Nazis. Mm. Admittedly, that does make them sound really, really bad, but at least it'd be Makes bad and honest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the one, the one last thing, the last thing I had was... Uh, this popped up oh, on... Now, I need to ask, where did you get this from? I got this from Twitter. All right, so I got this from Drew, who sent it to me, asking me to explain what it is. So, Drew, that image you, you sent me, Josh and I are going to try to A, describe it, and B, decipher it. So, it, it's from Twitter. It, I notice that it has ad in the top right corner, so it appears to have popped up in someone's feed as an actual advertisement. Which uh, means that someone has been willing to pay money... Mm for this to be spread. So it is 
so it's just, an, an, I just got it as an image. Someone had screenshotted it and then tweeted it again saying, what, what the hell is this? Did you, can you imagine companies used to actually want to advertise on the site? Uh, but so, at its, at its heart, what it is, is an Indian Ocean tsunami conspiracy theory, saying that it, that it was deliberately caused. But how it does that, it has the word tsunami in capital letters, and in two different ways shows that the word tsunami is uh, a secret code admitting that the United States did it. Because first of all, if you say tsunami backwards, it's I-M-A-N-U-S-T, which stands for I'm... America's nuclear scientist triggered, which is almost a sentence suggesting that, that, that the tsunami was triggered by American nuclear scientists, but also if you take the, the, the T and the S from tsunami, that's like the, the, the S and the T in the front of states, then if you take the next two letters, the UN, well that's the start of United, then if you take the next two letters, A-M, well, that's the start of America. And if you take the, letter, the final letter, I, well, that's the first letter in Indonesia. So you've got the first two letters of United States America, assuming you take, take one of the pairs and swap it around with the other one, and United States America India. I mean, it's, it's as obvious as, as Imanast. Now, no, 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 Josh, you said this is a, this is a tsunami conspiracy theory image but i want to point out it's actually a 9-11 conspiracy theory because oh yes yeah there are layers yeah there are layers because the ad such that it is goes on to say 2004 indian ocean tsunami happened on american christmas now i do want to know american when you put the adjective american christmas i i a, I good, a good friend of mine is ukrainian orthodox so we talk about you, Orthodox Christmas as being different from, say, Roman Catholic or Western Christian Christmas. So, maybe maybe it's just because Indonesia is a majority Muslim country, so maybe, they don't, don't celebrate. Maybe, but Christmas? I mean, I do wonder: mm. is there a particular thing about mm. American Christmas? So, December twenty fifth, two thousand and four, local American time, and then and this is the bit which gets me. The next three words is retaliation for 9-11 but they've been pasted on slightly above yes, that the little, line little sentence is slightly out of alignment with the other ones like it was added on later or something and then it ends with www number one victim of crime dot com now have you been to I, number one I victim of crime not, I very I'm, much not. I am going to go to number one victim of crime right now as you spend some right. time talking about what's going on here. I would not so so I mean looking at this thing, I'm 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 sort of sixty percent convinced convinced it's real and not just some sort of a joke maybe 55 I don't know I'll, I'll be honest it's oh, probably, probably even it's probably oh, Josh, even you, <laughs> Is it pornography? Oh, oh, there's more. There are Good more. Lord, this website is just a bunch more images like the tsunami. And actually, the first one's much harder to describe than tsunami. Uh, this is, it starts off with, there weren't natural, actually no, let's do this as, let's, let's do this as the bonus episode. The okay. bonus episode. The bonus episode. We will go to number one victim of crime dot com and talk and more. Talk about what, 
what we see. Uh, that being the case, I guess we're all out of things to talk about uh, for this episode. We are the first episode of 2024, and what what an episode it's been. Uh, there's been highs and lows, ups and downs, things and also other things. Yes, precisely. There have been words, there mm. have been silences, there have been silences between words. It has been an experience. It has. But like all experiences... These experiences must come to an end. Mm. Unless, of course, you are a patron, then you'll get a little bonus episode. Yeah, you'll mm. have, you get to have more experiences. Other listeners, mm. they don't get any more experiences until such time the next episode drops. But you, as a patron, you get additional experiences. And so, oh, to be clear, you if you want to be one of our patrons, then you need to go to patreon.com and search for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. Podbean won't cut it. Not anymore. Podbean no. is gone. Yeah, we are out of the pod beaning business. Mm. No more beaning our pods. No, that sounds like it should be rude, but I can't quite make it to work. So, uh, until next week, probably, when we will m- most likely do some sort of a remote yeah. recording, depending yeah. on how things work out. Uh, until then, um, just goodbye, but in a 2024 sense. Goodbye! Yes, that's more like it. The podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R. Extentive. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com, and please do consider joining our Patreon. Remember, keep watching the skis.